This week on a lively experiment, a major shift in who controls the Providence school system. And the governor faces another ethics complaint over a no-bid contract. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us this week, former state representative Doreen Costa, Pat Ford, chairman of the Libertarian Party, Rhode Island, and former chairman of the Rhode Island Democratic Party, Bill Lynch. Welcome to A Lively Experiment. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. To the surprise of absolutely no one, the Council of Elementary and Secondary Education voted this week to give the state's new education commissioner sweeping powers over the failing Providence school system. But a lot of questions remain, including what can be done in the interim before the state officially gets control sometime in October. Bill, let's start with you. There is a process here to get to the state control. The kids are coming back in a month. There's just a lot to be done. A lot to be done is an understatement, even by your standards. I mean, probably the first thing the new commissioner did was ask for a raise. I mean, um, yeah. look, the report was probably the most devastating negative report I've seen in my adult life in Rhode Island with respect to a government agency. The, the school department obviously is in, in need of, of overhaul would be certainly an understatement. Um, and yeah, it's challenging because it's not going to be fixed overnight. I mean, the problem wasn't created overnight. It's not going to be fixed overnight. I think that the, the positive thing at this point is everybody seems to have now bought in to the fact that it can't be business as usual in Providence anymore. I mean, your point's a good one. It's not going to be, as we tape in this program, we're almost into August. It's not going to be fixed by September when the students go back to school and they need to go back. So. I think that what the group that's working on this now is doing is putting together a priority list um, to make sure you know our buildings are the school buildings in Providence are at least safe and secure, um, and then the big issues have to be dealt with. But look, there's no two ways around it. It's not this is not a problem that's going to be fixed overnight. Tori. Well, I agree with you 100 percent. Here's my issue with this whole with this whole Providence School Department. I am not Mayor Alorza and I have absolutely nothing in common. You can't, you can't put the blame 100% on Alorza. It goes back to Mayor Cicilline. It goes back to Angel DeVaris. It goes back far back as Buddy Cianci. The can continually was kicked down the road. So now, like you said, this is going to take years. So, so my question is, parents have to send their, their children back to school in, what, 42, 40 more days. Are you going to send your child into that school with rats, with urine <coughs> coming out of the ceiling, with broken pipes? What do these parents do? This is now in health. This is a health issue for these children. If I was a parent, honestly, I would have to say I would not send my child there. I would have to find different avenues. I would have to find daycare. I would have to find babysitters because most of these parents, they're working parents. What do you do with your children at this point? It's a huge dilemma. It's a huge if dilemma. You have the, if you have the means to go to private school, but a lot of people cannot. Pat? The city of Providence and the state of Rhode Island have abdicated any moral authority with whatever to engage in the education of our children. We simply need to get government out of education now. You know, a couple of years ago, I was blessed enough under your administration, if you will, to make my first appearance here. And, and uh, 
Mr. Walsh from the NEA was here, and I pointed out in my outrage of the week that it was not just a, a failure currently of <coughs> any individual school system, but it was a generational failure. About a month or two ago, when I was on just before the report hit, I used the words educational holocaust. And I used that word intentionally because it is a mixture of obscenities. Let's be blunt. This school system is founded, the entire state of Rhode Island school system is founded on the notion that by obliging people through the use of confiscatory taxation and coercive taxation, that they have to send their children to a public school. Most people do not have the means to do so. This whole quaint notion of a social compact that has existed here in this country for generations, that somehow if we cede authority of our children, our personal property, our futures to the state, that somehow they will do the moral thing, has been crushed irrevocably here in the state of Rhode Island. But that's the 30,000-foot view. You got no, this, kids, is, this yeah. is the immediate view. With yeah, the but first, so how do, you, how do you even begin that? Because, very, 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 there, mm. Other states are doing it. The first thing that needs to happen at the legislative level is we need to, ed, we need to authorize what's been done in Arizona and a half a dozen other states, educational savings accounts. What what we need to do is begin nothing less than an orderly migration of students out of public education into not, when I use the term private school, I'm not talking about Wheeler or Moses Brown or the Lincoln School, but privately funded, privately run alternatives to a failed racist public education system. There is, we have, what we have right now is first of all, we have no firings. No one's taken the pipe in the last couple of weeks as we like to say in Jersey. On top of that, <laughs> you know, the notion that anything could be worse is impossible. I want to quote Naeem from the West Broadway School. Have you ever had, sat to sit in a room and work when all you can smell is the, the scent of a dead rat somewhere? I have. That should sum it all up. What about that idea? Look, th that's great, but that's not going to help the next 10 or 20 years of children that Continuing need to get educated. Is. So I think that, that nobody's suggesting, I haven't had anybody of any political party or anybody in this discussion. So, so the very do, people do who you mind, us to the Do you mind if I say something? Then Go you right can ahead. tell me when I'm wrong, which you usually do. <laughs> the, the problem needs to be addressed as quickly as possible, not with more study groups and more ideas right. that are going to take 10, 20, 30 years to implement if they're ever implemented. So. I think that the, the critical mass that we have now is that everybody has bought into the fact that it's a disaster in Providence. Um, and, and now people are at least, including parents, teachers unions, government officials, obviously the, the uh, education department, have all acknowledged that. Um, there's been surprisingly little finger pointing because everybody has basically said, I, part of this problem is on me, uh, I contributed to it. And I think that those people, we need to assist and give the tools to fix this incrementally. It's not going to be fixed overnight. We're not going to build 10 brand new school buildings in Providence in the next 40 days. It's not going to happen. But there are, by, by making our priorities and making the appropriate tools available, we can incrementally start to move in the right direction if everybody continues with the buy-in. Right, but, but the thing is, is they haven't even started anything. I mean, they're looking for people, they want the community to get involved, maybe get a bucket of paint, go in there with paintbrushes and They've clean had up. summer school in some they, of these places exactly, that you can't get they, in Exactly, they haven't even started doing any work yet, from what I understand. How do you, how do you not do even start something you've had so you've had companies come out and say we will do this pro bono we'll donate ten thousand we'll donate fifteen thousand <laughs> and another thing the legislator the legislative process there is not even a special legislation set to go even tackle this Providence school system which I think is is a travesty what should the legislation be doing we I mean? should they should be there we should <laughs> we should they should they, we should they should they should be there they, there's got to be some money somewhere to give to, to you know, 
start the process. Because if you listen to the commissioner, she states, we have no money. The state always has money somewhere. There's a rainy day fund. There's a general fund. Take something out. You cannot, and I'm, I'm fiscal conservative. I am not one to say, let's just spend the money. We have no choice but to put these kids in a safe school. We can't send them like this. Well, here, here's the problem. And Dorian, you're absolutely right. But at the same token, <clears throat> we're asking the very same people, the power elite in this state, who have been in charge for a generation now. 70 plus yeah, years. Right. In charge for a generation now, who are going to suddenly have a deathbed conversion to competency? I, I don't see how it's I don't see how it's possible. There's been plenty of money there. Whatever happened to the race to the bottom money, as we love to used to call it? Right. All right. It went to consultants. What's going to happen now? It's going to go to consultants. I'm not saying that on September 8th or whatever day that these children go back to school, there's going to be a plethora of educational opportunities available to them. But the same token, we have to begin now. We have to begin an orderly shutdown and migration of people of, of, of children away from this failed racist model. It is a racist model. It has been generated by one political party largely across the state, and it's time for it to end. May I just say one more thing? Sure. Like you're saying shut down, and there's parents saying that they're not going to send their kids to school. Well, Unfortunately, they have to. That puts them in a Because that puts, that puts them, in, puts them in, not only that, but now they're going to be charged with truancy for not sending their children to school. Uh, also, so what do the parents do? I also, I don't know what the answer to that question is. I know some people are scrambling to get their kids into private school just because it's so bad. But Bill, I, you know, I heard Mayor Cicilline on, I think it was with Tim and Ted uh, the other day and Newsmakers, you know, apologizing, <coughs> which is nice now, but you wonder, I mean, didn't these people hear this? I mean, either through union, I mean, how did they keep this out? It takes a study from Johns Hopkins to, to blow it up. I mean, hasn't this been known for years? Look, I think that there's been an ongoing debate, not just in Providence, by the way. I live in Pawtucket. There's been an ongoing debate about the status of the schools, the physical plant, uh, et cetera. And it's, it's, and it's been in more than just Providence. But I think, it, as typical, as goes Providence, so goes the state. And I think that, you know, uh, yeah, sometimes it does take some cataclysmic event to just set off a bomb to get everybody's attention. Whether we like that or not, I think that's, that's the fact, and, and that's what's happened here. And I think, thank God, finally, um, you know, uh, John Hopkins did this report and just basically laid it on the table in front of everybody. So at this point, there's no denying it, right? It wasn't done by a political party. It wasn't done by somebody in Rhode Island. Uh, it was done by, a, obviously, an organization that has tremendous credibility uh, nationally. And uh, I think sometimes, whether we like it or not, it takes a slap in the face like this to wake people up and say, you know, the status quo isn't good enough anymore. All right, and final word, then we move on. It, it strikes me that the, the power elite in the state are more married to a p political philosophy that includes public education than they are at all concerned about the quality of the education that's being delivered. Part of that, I believe, is uh, basically a profit motive. The educational industry here has become industrialized. There are consultants making a fortune as well as mid-level bureaucrats. In in this nation, one of our proudest imports, if you will, is our collegiate education. I would point out to you that the preponderance of that is privately based, privately financed, privately funded, and as a result, privately a hell, hell of a lot better. All right. To be continued, we've been talking about this a lot, and we will continue most likely next week. Um, have you heard about the uh, IGT Twin River Governor Amundo <laughs> dust-up? This has been kind of a story that's hard to follow. What we do know is the Republican Party filed a, an ethics complaint against the governor over what is, in effect, a no-bid 20-year contract. Uh, the long and short of it is she tried to extend this. And there are, there are arguments back and forth. What I find curious is now 
the legislator, the speaker's backing off because this was going to be a special session mm -hmm. to approve it, and now it's like not so fast. W what's your view on well, that? Well, she shouldn't be negotiating any contracts, backtracking behind the back door. They should 100% have gone to the legislator in the first place. And I know that um, former chairman Brandon Bell just filed an ethics complaint against the governor. She shouldn't be negotiating contracts. You, that's, that's up to the legislator. You, you, you just can't backdoor everything. You have to keep everything open. You have to keep it in the public eye. And she's not very transparent on a lot of things that she does. Brandon Bell, your favorite guy. <laughs> and you have a disclosure to make on this, right? I do. I do work for IGT. And I'm 100% in their corner on this project. And I want to make sure everybody knows that, particularly a Twin Rivers lawyers, so they don't start chasing me around. Right, but, but I'm not saying that it's a great project, but it's just the way that it's being negotiated. Yeah, I mean, I think it could have been rolled out better. Um, but I think that, that as we go through this process, um, I think that you're going to see the attention directed to the facts as they exist and not as the Twin River, you know, spinmeisters would have you believe they are. And I think that people are going to begin to recognize that IGT has 1,100 employees in the state of Rhode Island because it started here as GTEC and it's their home. And there's going to be a study released that was coming out this morning. We taped this on Friday morning. Right. People watch it on Sunday. So the they will have seen that by then. And it's a hundreds of millions of dollars that IGT basically pours into Rhode Island every year. And they don't need 1,100 employees to run the lottery system in Rhode Island. They do the New York lottery system, which, which dwarfs uh, Rhode Island. And IG has, I think, 60 or 70 employees total in New York. We've got 1,100 employees here. We've got f approximately 400 employees in West Greenwich repairing lottery machines, video lottery terminals. Um, you know, these are, these are, are factors that are huge contributors, and that's why this isn't really just a... So why not do that all out in the open and, and make that... Well, pitch? I think what's exactly. going to happen now is that's exactly what's going to happen. There are going to be hearings in the Senate. They've already announced that. I'm sure that the House will participate, and they'll be able to lay out in a, in a clearer fashion. But... You know, right now the only opposition really to this is being driven by Twin River. And by the way, you know, Twin River, you know, it's the typical hypocrisy in my opinion. And again, I do some work for IGT. But Twin River got a no-bid contract to manage the two casinos in Rhode Island. They made $281 million last year, Twin River, just to manage two casinos. You know, if, if, and now they're looking for an extension. You know, their, their proposal was, I'll give the state an extra $125 million, but I want a 13-year extension of my contract at the casinos. Well, I'll do that for half because that means we're going to pay Twin River over $3 billion with a B. Over the life of that. And they're going to give the state $125 million. I'll, I'll do it for $3.6 billion, and I'll give the state half. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. Mr. Ford? Uh, what's the term? Just desserts? <clears throat> I, okay, let's go down this loathsome trail. We granted two companies effectively a monopoly on behavior that is illegal in the private sector that relies on predatory practices to engage people in almost guaranteed loss of their income through this illusion that somehow happy people are going to go to these places and walk away rich. And now, all of a sudden, our high moral fiber here in Rhode Island is insulted that somehow, by giving out these two monopolies, that you know, the practices of the governor, it's, it's just so pathetic. But we're addicted you know, to the money. Pat. Right. I mean, of course we are addicted to the money. And all of this money goes to a general fund. None of it's, by the way, how ironic we're having this conversation the week we're talking about education. Wasn't, you know, the urban legend is, wasn't the 
gambling going to go to fund it? No, okay, that's urban legend. That's urban legend. Cool, that's right. urban legend. <laughs> so, you know, I have never met a group of people who deserve each other more. First of all, gambling should be open to the free market. It's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. If, if a, a restaurant wants to be able to host uh, games of chance and, and it's okay for the state to do it, Okay, so we need to get out of this monopoly mindset in the first place. The second notion is if, if someone has a dependency on the jobs in this state because we've granted two monopolies to companies and we've not broadened our economic base across multiple companies to do the same job for creating a free market for it, then who do we have to blame but ourselves? As Pogo once said, I have seen the enemy and he is us. What do you think is going to I don't even I mean, know what it is. I got nothing on that one. That's great. But, I mean, the, the issue is we do have 1,100 jobs here. We don't, they, they're not tied to the lottery. So when people keep saying, bid the lottery contract, the 1,100 jobs can go away overnight. IGT is, is a huge international company who happens to call Rhode Island home because GTEC started, they started here. here yeah. they've, we, they've got 870 employees at IGT who live in the state of Rhode Island who make on average eighty dollars to $100,000 a year and pour that money back into the Rhode Island system. So we've got hundreds of people. We've, the IGT has established over 20 educational labs throughout the state of Rhode Island that are operating, helping our children move forward. They contribute to every charitable endeavor that they exists in the state of Rhode Island. And they make money. They make a fraction of what Twin River makes, a fraction. And, 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 and so, you know, I think that this business about Twin River driving this discussion, and by the way, we saw the memo come out and be reported by Twin River that they were going to support this proposal as long as they got a bigger piece of the project. And when, and when IGT said, no, it doesn't work that way, suddenly the same lawyer that, that orchestrated the original contract with IGT in the state of Rhode Island, who said it was the greatest thing ever for the state of Rhode Island, now his paycheck says Twin River, and suddenly it's the worst deal that was ever stricken for the state of Rhode Island. It doesn't make any sense. And at the very same time, Trimark tried to build a facility in the state, was completely ignored by the state, is an international company that would have brought all sorts of money and funds. They ended up going to Massachusetts. And if I can quote Ed Fitzpatrick's article, he did not receive any tax incentives from Massachusetts or Mansfield. Until we get ourselves off of this habit of having to feel like we have to buy it and pay for it, you know what? We're going to have the same conversation every single year. It, all that's going to happen is the cast of characters is going to change. All right, Dan McGowan had an interesting article in the Boston Globe. I'm not quite sure what to make of this. Um, the Rhode Island League of Cities and Towns has uh, brought on Angel Tavares, former mayor Tavares of Providence, to take a look at a possible challenge to the Evergreen contract. Now, we've talked a lot about that. Short of passing another bill, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know if we've had you on since the Evergreen contract passed. It's and you think of Providence having to blow it up, you wonder whether they can do it with an evergreen contract. Well, I don't believe in the contract, period. I mean, perpetual contracts to me are just, it's dangerous. It, it's, uh, it's just an open checkbook. Um, as far as Angel Tavares coming in, I mean, he's, he's an attorney. This is what he can do. And this is one of his specialties. So, I mean, go at it. I still think that it was a big mistake that this bill was passed. And it's going to hurt a lot of cities and towns. I mean, North Kingstown, where I live right now, I had asked the council, what is this evergreen contract going to cost the town, just the town of North Kingstown? And my answer was, you are going to be astounded. And they couldn't release the number to me because it was brought up in executive session. But it's going to be public soon, and it's going to cost the taxpayers of North Kingstown thousands and thousands and thousands What's of dollars. What's the path legally? Is there any path? It is there one? It was passed by the legislature short of getting an overturn. How, could, how can they challenge it? 
Well, you can hire lawyers to challenge anything, right? I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. You but know, I'm not, I'm not successful gonna, is another. Yeah, matter, I mean, right? I'm not going to, uh, you know, opine as to whether or not you know who's going to win, you know, if and when this ends up in court. Um, what about the evergreen contract? Well, I think, think I think that you know people are justifiably concerned. There was an enormous amount of discussion and debate about this in the legislative session on both sides. Right. Um, and and the vote was taken and now I think you know some people said it's going to have dire impacts mm -hmm. on cities and towns others said absolutely not many people said this already takes place in a lot of cities and towns including right here in Rhode Island and it's not had any negative impact so I think like anything else we have to wait and see what happens many people think that that it won't have that kind do you think of it could possibly be overturned I don't know enough about the, the the legal challenge. I mean, it's very hard, in my estimation, to you know to get it's into court. By the legislature. And, and by the way, you know, right. you, once you get into the court system, it's liable to be years that yeah. they'll be you know yeah, fighting. Over the real answer is that zombie cities like Providence, zombie cities like Warwick, <laughs> zombie cities like Woonsocket, are safe. You're very negative. I, I know that. People are trying. People are trying to have their brunch <laughs> on Sunday, and, and they're 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 putting down what their Dunkin' Donuts. What was I right about? What have I been right about? Okay. So again, the zombie cities ultimately need to test us in the, in the court of municipal bankruptcy law. I'm not an expert. I literally just play one on the radio. But I will tell you this, that Providence is probably going to be the test case for a whole bunch of this nonsense. And when it goes, and it will go soon, uh, we'll find out. All right, let's uh, go to outrages. I know we have some national stuff we want to get to. Ms. Costa. My outrage of the week is the way that Robert, uh, Bob Mueller was treated when he was testifying <clears throat> for six plus hours. There was nothing found, there was nothing new. It was a waste of taxpayer money. Millions and millions and millions of dollars on more nonsense. We'll be talking about that in just a second. Bill, what do you have for an outrage or a kudo? I think uh, the, the kudo I'm gonna have is for Peter Narona, our relatively new attorney general, and the arrangement that he made in, in his typical sort of professional business-like fashion with the diocese uh, here in Rhode Island to give the Attorney General's office access to 70 plus years of files so that a fair, uh, neutral, but professional investigation can be conducted into the behavior of priests within the diocese. You know, the diocese released that, that abbreviated list of priests that they identified as being problematic. That wasn't going to satisfy, I don't think, anybody um, that, that we were going to strictly rely on who the diocese determined uh, should be uncovered. So. Uh, I, I, my hat's off to Peter Narona for being able to sort of quietly, he didn't do it with a lot of fanfare, uh, but I think that there are a lot of families in Rhode Island who are going to benefit from his ability to get the diocese to release 70 years of records so that people can at least feel like they got a fair, impartial, professional look at what's been going on. Okay, thank you. Pat? Uh, ironic because my kudos, which is a result of an outrage generated by, in fact, part by Mr. Nerona's office. Um, my kudos goes You're to You're not going to agree with me on something, are you? No. no. Uh, <laughs> Let's not get too excited right? here. Right? My, my kudos goes to the American Civil Liberties Union, both on a national and local level. Uh, Stephen Brown and his cast of, uh, of, of volunteer lawyers is involved in a couple of issues. Number one, the RA Accountability Project, Piskanov versus the in Narragansett, uh, the prior Attorney General, a loathsome character if there ever was one, and sadly Mr. Nerona, for whom we have great hopes, uh, agree on one thing, and that seems to be the notion that internal affairs reports generated by local police departments are somehow private, private affairs. 
Uh, balderdash, I say to that. I would also point out to Mr. Narona that it's time to him to step aside and actually, if we can't change the law immediately, uh, coerce, if you will, local police departments into stop investigating uh, drug homicide cases with this Christine's Law. That needs to happen. On a national level, I credit the ACLU with taking on immediately uh, the Trump administration's uh, reinvocation, if you will, of the death penalty. Uh, that was done, obviously, as a continuing extension of the political theater. That is the Trump administration, and that needs to be shut down. Right I think away. you and Bill might agree on that one. Now, I just want to be clear. You're talking about the most previous attorney general, not the one before. Right. Oh, I'm talking about uh, Mr. Kilmartin right. as being a loathsome character. We, we, a lot of us in different <laughs> communities have great, great hopes for the current attorney general. He needs to get his act together, though, on, on Piskanov, and he needs to shut down this Kirsten's law. Excuse me. All right, let's go, to, uh, let's go to national. What did you make of the Mueller hearings and, and where the Democrats are going forward? I mean, this, this whole deal, Nancy Pelosi's Look, here, having the, the, here, here's what the I think impeachment about the, issues. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a, a split within our party uh, nationally as to what, what direction we should go, whether or not there should be the opening of an impeachment inquiry or not. There's a split right here in Rhode Island, in our own delegation. <clears throat> the, the thing I think was important about the Mueller um, testimony and the hearings was I didn't expect that to be. I, I'm one of the people that read the Mueller report. You know, you, you can buy it for $7 at BJ's, I think. You I need to get it. out. I actually, I actually read it. But the important thing was that it's 400-plus pages. Let's be honest. <coughs> Most people are not going to sit down and read a 400-page report from Bob Mueller or anybody else. So I personally, I think the only reason and the only effect of the, of the hearings were that people are more inclined to watch at least you know, a part of that on television as opposed to sitting down and pouring through the report. And what we heard from Bob Mueller, which is already, I, I admit, in the report, but at least we heard it on television, we saw it on the news of Bob Mueller saying that that there was plenty of cause for concern with regard to Russians in, uh, uh, hacking into our election system. It's on the front page of today's paper that it's still going on. There was plenty of information, and in fact, uh, likely that, that Donald Trump would have been indicted were he not a sitting president. So I think that anybody who was expecting something brand new from the testimony was probably disappointed. I don't think that was ever the goal or the intention. I think really it was to try and attempt to let people know what was really in that report and not let them be continually mesmerized by Donald Trump saying over and over that it cleared him and exonerated him. It did no such thing. Pat. Well, I mean, let's, I, I won't be the first to use the term kabuki theater on this. Uh, first of all, it afforded both the Democrats and Republicans all sorts of political cover. The Democrats can go to their base and say, see, we're, we're, we're beating up on him. You know, folks are using this for all forms of political cover. Heck, Mary Beth Calabro was actually out there trying to organize a Twitter storm about Trump and the Mueller hearings. Okay? Both sides are, going, are already engaging, even during the hearing, as the hearing was taking place, in epic levels of fundraising. Um, as far as the GOP goes, and clearly the Democrats do not want to impeach for one simple reason. Mike Pence will be one whole hell of a lot harder to run against in 2020 than Donald Trump. He's a character. They're going to work it to death. They don't really care about justice. But do you think they really... Anybody watch that hearing and change their mind? No. I, I mean, if you're no. a Republican, you think, well, that you know, there's nothing same there. Old, same old. Move along. And if you're a Democrat, it's like, oh, well, that's what we didn't hear, right? No. And, and you know, just in case you guys didn't get the memo, he's still your president. It's it's he's our president of the United States. Um, I didn't agree with anything that Barack Obama said, but I never saw such disrespect towards a president as I see against President Trump. I watched the hearing. I I had this done, so I had nothing else to do that day. I watched the entire hearing. 
and let, I was absolutely disgusted by both parties, by both parties on how this man was treated. Well, almost, little less than 170 times, I think it was 162 times, he said, I don't know, I don't know. The guy looked disheveled, he looked, he looked confused, he didn't want to be there. He, he was a former Marine, he served our country. This guy was treated like garbage, I'm sorry. He should have never had to testify. You've got Congressman Cicilline, oh, we gotta do this again, we gotta do this again. Why? Nothing new came about. Nothing, nothing new. Was, Fifteen seconds. Was All right, because ultimately, I, I think in part because Republicans attempted to conflate Mr. Mueller's objections or failure to testify uh, as not knowing when, in fact, he'd made it clear that there were areas that he was simply not going to cover due to the political nature of the testimony itself. No, I, just, no, I just think I just think he was treated very poorly by the Democratic Party because the Democrats can't face that Donald Trump <laughs> is still their president. All right, we got to go. Thank you. Appreciate your time, Doreen Thank and you. Pat. And I have a feeling we're going to carry this out the hall afterwards. <laughs> uh, but we will be back here next week as a lively experiment continues. Hope we have a great week and join us back here next week. experiment is generously underwritten by for 30 years a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders hi I'm John Hazen White jr. and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program